Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, oh, oh. Some French patat, some French baguette, uh, uh, white flag, huh? Speaking of white flags, it's very apt. We talk about white flags in a few moments. Uh-huh. Uh, we know all about white flags, Mr. Biden, huh? And you stay for the principles. Today's show is probably going to be the most unpopular show I've ever done for you. In today's show, I'm going to make you mad. I'm going to make you angry. I'm going to piss you off. But today's show is a show you need to listen to. You know, this week has been very interesting for me. Because one of the things I've learned over the last maybe six weeks is when you don't pay attention to stuff, your life is so much better. I had a, uh, I don't know if I said this on the air. I had an issue with my, my iPhone and basically you don't need to know the issue, but long story short, I had to basically reset the whole settings and evidence gone. And I had to re-download all my apps. And I've basically made the conscious decision that on my iPhone, I'm not putting social media on it. And my mood has been a lot better. It is amazing what ignorance can do for you. I never saw the appeal of ignorance until the last few weeks. But then this week, because of, as you know, I'm a powerlifter and I've been training. I was supposed to enter a competition on September 5th. I was supposed to enter, it was a Saturday and Sunday before I was due to fly out to America for my tour. But because of the travel ban, and I can't delay my tour anymore, Because of the travel ban, I had to pull out of the tournament and I'm going to Turkey for two weeks to isolate to then enter your country legally that way. So this week I did a mock competition because I've trained for five months. I've trained my ass off. I'm sore. My muscles are fatigued. I was like, I'm I'm doing this competition. I know it doesn't count, but I'm doing it. So I was just all focused about doing this competition on Monday and Tuesday. And because of that, I didn't pay much attention to the news. It was a good time. Life was good. You know, life is so much good. No ignorant, no social media on the phone, not paying any attention to news, just totally focus on, I need to lift a lot of weight on Tuesday. I need to get in the mentally mental zone for it. And that is all I'm going to focus on. Life is good, man. Just, I imagine life was so good those few days. It was like I smoked a big joint. I was like, oh yeah. Then preparing for this show, 
I saw a lot of stuff because I knew the issue I was going to talk to you about today. We need to talk about Afghanistan. We need to talk about America's role in the world. We need to talk about the, and I don't get political, but the joke, the disgrace that is your president. Yes, I said it. I don't get involved in your politics very often. Today is an exception. And as I started to research, as I started to spend a few minutes on my phone, or not on my phone, on my iPad, or doing social media, and on my phone reading articles, and on YouTube watching videos of what your media are saying, of what your late-night talk show hosts are saying, I got angry. I got pissed off. First off, let's talk about Afghanistan, shall we? There are many different sides of the issue on Afghanistan, shall we say. Afghanistan is an issue that we all like to make really simple. And there's usually a few camps. They have varying different degrees on what they want. Some people, you know, want a lot more troops. Some people wanted the status quo troops. Some people wanted to pull out now. Some people wanted to pull out eventually. There's many different things. And we make it all simple. Because social media, as much as it has advanced the world, you know, I use it. I don't bitch about it because I like it in the fact that I get to communicate with you. This show wouldn't exist without social media. I love how I don't I engage with you publicly that often because I don't need to. I engage with you all privately. I have messages with you. I have conversations with you. I love it. And I get to, you know, sometimes you agree, sometimes you disagree. But that advantage of having it for free is great. But the bad side to social media, especially Twitter, is we have condensed and we have trained ourselves and each other that all our arguments on every issue have to be 280 characters. If it goes over 280 characters, you're saying too much. There is no nuance in the, in the debate. There is no discussion. We All we do is yell at each other in 280 characters or less. Afghanistan. I don't care whether your position is, should have stayed, should have go, whatever it is. The fact is, you were there until recently. Logic would dictate, and I know logic is dead. We've beaten that bad boy up. We have battered it. We have, we, we have killed it. We brought, brought it back to life, and we decided to kill it again. And then I think we resuscitated it a third time and then beat the ever-living crap out of it again and broke its legs and its arms and its skull. That's what we have done to logic. I know that. But logic would say, what you do is you do things in a quote-unquote responsible way. Now, I know responsibility is such a, it's such a dirty word because responsibility means different things to different people. But how about we just come across this term as responsible in the sense of you cause as least chaos and kill at least the least amount of people as possible. Can we agree on that? Can we agree on whether you're left or right or top or bottom or Republican or Democrat, Biden or Trump supporter? Let's just do things with the least resistance possible. Did that happen? No. No, it didn't. And the problem is that you have incompetent boobs running so many different departments of your government. For all the things you want to say about Joe Biden, Joe Biden is really consistent on foreign policy. Oh, yes, he is. Don't argue with me. He is very consistent. I dare say there are a few in, in, in America right now who are as consistent as Joe Biden consistently wrong on foreign policy, but consistent nonetheless. Let's try and be nice. There has not been a decision in foreign policy 
that he has been right on since, I don't know, Benedict Arnold. That seems apt, right? I'm sure he was right on Benedict Arnold. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he was wrong on that one too. But he's been wrong on every single issue. So I'm not expecting, the bar is not exactly high of what I'm expecting from Joe Biden, from your president. Likewise, the bar is not exactly high for your Congress. Yes, even when Republicans have power. But what has happened has even shocked me. And again, my bar is really low. Like literally, you could just step over my bar and I'd be like, great job. That's really good. That's exactly what I expected. This is chaos. This is pure and utter destruction. The images that have been broadcast around the world will hurt America's role, America's standing, but also will inflict mental pain and torture on a lot of people. I could talk to you about the troops who have served over there. I could talk to you about the families who've lost someone over there. I could talk to you about the individuals who have helped the U.S. Army over there, who have helped the U.S. government by spying on them, by giving them intel. I could talk to you about how the average age in Afghanistan is 18 years of age and how they don't know anything else. You know, I saw some people say in, on Twitter this week, you know, where, oh, we just need, Afghanistan just needs to go back the way it was. Well, you've been there 20 years and the average age is 18. So what they knew and the way it was is what they are seeing right now. What it is and what it was is on all they know is America there. Now, I'm not a big foreign policy hawk. I'm not an interventionist. Hey, let's get America involved in everything. That's not me. I do believe there is a role for foreign policy and there is a role for American power. But the fact is, you're there. How do you get out responsibly? You pick a better time of year would be a good start. Hey, let's do this during winter or what we would call their peacetime. Hey, how about we do this when the government is ready? Hey, how about we don't rush these decisions? Hey, how about we ensure that, you know, the people you're arming are ready and willing and able to stand up for their country? How about that? Any of this possible? Any of this? Am I sounding like an extremist right now? Am I sounding like one of those wacko birds, quote unquote? Or is everything I'm saying kind of logical? Because that is exactly the opposite of what you actually did. I know there's been lots of coverage. I've seen some of my friends on the right offer coverage where they've compared this to Vietnam, where they've said the images are really striking to places like Saigon. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go there because I want to talk to you about what needs to happen. I want to talk to you from my heart today. I want to talk to you about this issue, but I want to talk to you about so many more other issues. The big issue I want to talk to you about is your heart and your soul. And yes, this still relates to Afghanistan. Righteous anger is very popular. At some point in time in your life, maybe more than once, you will have righteous anger. It's so easy. It's an easy emotion. Anger is so easy. I watched it. I read some of your articles and I was getting angrier by the minute, by the word I was reading. 
Each word I was getting more and more pissed off because I love America. And seeing those videos where uh, you have young boys. There was one which story I really read, which is tragic. He played for the, the national soccer team. I think he was 18 or 19. And how he died was he was so aware of what the Taliban would do, so aware of what hell awaited him by staying in his country. He risked everything by holding onto a plane on the outside and he fell to his debt. What type of hell do you have to know is coming to willing be to go, hey, I know this plane's going to go about 400 miles an hour or maybe 25, 30,000 feet in the air. I'm going to hold on to the outside and hope I hold on long enough. That shows you how little hope they have. These are heartbreaking stories where you have these, these press releases, which I scoffed at. The Taliban, oh, we're going to respect women's rights. Oh, we're not going to seek out those who, who are against us. No, we're not going to seek retribution. Anybody in the media who believe that, I have a bridge to sell you. Because this has been called Taliban 2.0, but there's the same evil, despotic bastards they've always been, who belong in the 8th century. But how do you solve this? Does righteous anger solve this? Is this an issue that really is one that's going to get solved through, hey, let's all get angry at each other. Let's get angry. Let's get riled up. But that wasn't where their anger stopped for me. Because as I was researching it, as I was reading about what you, your president and your country did, as I was reading what the armed forces were saying, that idiot who got his woke pro talking points. You know the one I'm talking about. I'm very pro-military, but there are some people at the top that are just idiots, morons, nincompoops. You fill in the adjective there, that's true. That's apt. As I was reading the talking points, even from European media, as I was reading what your president had said the night before, I was getting angry. But that's not where it stopped. Because you see, it kept going. Because your late night talk show hosts, like that dolt Stephen Colbert, and I apologize for the insults, but I think they're apt today. Where you have people like Stephen Colbert saying, well, you know, is there really a difference between the Taliban terrorists and the right-wing extremists that, you know, launched on the Capitol on January 6th? Or those Trump supporters? Really? That is where you're at. If you can look at a video of the Taliban and look at January 6th and not see there is a difference, then I don't know what to tell you. Either you're a political hack who just wants to blame the other side for absolutely everything, or you're an idiot. By the way, I'm the person who, after January 6th, called them guys idiots and morons because you've now given the left ammunition for months, for years, to always drag up January 6th. So I'm no, I'm no defender of January 6th people. The people who stormed the Capitol, the people who broke laws, the people who went to the protest, the march, the rally where your president spoke. I've never spoken ill about them. But the people who stormed the building, I've been very clear about them. But that's what you have. They're the exact same as the Taliban terrorists who tired someone this week. 
They're the exact same as the Taliban terrorists who found a woman, who beat her, who gouged out her eyes with a knife, who's now blind, and then pained her. Oh, that was another story from the Taliban. Yeah, the right in America are just like that. I saw another one because my anger wasn't done. I saw another story how, well, well, you know, those Taliban people, they're just like the right-wingers who are pro-life over here. Really? Wow. Wow. That's some twisting of logic there. I could tell you and talk to you for the next hour about stories I read this week, mainly over the last two days. But what good would it do? You've heard them. Chances are you've seen them. What I really want to talk to you about is anger. How do we solve it? How do we solve this? Is getting angry and pissed off really the answer? Before you answer that, let's just play, I don't know, a little game of, you know, devil's advocate. Imagine for a second you're Satan. And you're there, and your goal is to defeat Jesus and God. That's your job. You are the God, the, the God of evil. You're fighting the God of light. You're fighting the God of love. What seeds do you plant on people's hearts? Are you trying to plant seeds to make everyone angry? To see everyone as an enemy? Even righteous anger is still anger. What seeds are you planting? Now, after you answer that question, let us revert back to the first question. What is righteous anger going to solve? Oh, but it gets people riled up. Okay, and that's a good thing. How? How do we solve the crisis that our world is in? We have so many issues right now. I could talk to you all day about Afghanistan. I could talk to you about CRT. I could talk to you about the economy. I could talk to you about COVID. I could talk to you about debt. I could talk to you about the Constitution. We have a lot of problems. And we don't have a lot of time to fix them. The time is to start self-reflecting. How are you going to act? What are you going to say? What are you going to focus on? Because there has been no shortage of anger in America. Over the last year, two years, four years, eight years, 20 years, probably since 9-11, there's been no shortage of anger. And even before that, you had the Bill Clinton affair. There was anger then. Obviously, it's been dialed up in recent years. But anger is not in short supply in your nation. Are things getting better or worse? Are things on the upslope or are they continuing down? The reason I wanted to talk to you about that this issue today in the, in the, under the guise of Afghanistan is because I urge you, take some time out this weekend and look at the, how you act and look at what you think and how you think and how you talk to others. Is anger really solving anything? Or is anger just adding fuel to a fire that's already ablaze? That's already literally like a bonfire. How do we respond to Stephen Colbert? I don't. 
Stephen Colbert, quite honestly, isn't worth my time, my energy, my efforts. Heck, he isn't even worth my breath. I don't care about people in the media. I don't care about people at CNN or MSNBC. What I care about is your people. What I care about is the average Joe who's getting screwed. What I care about in Afghanistan is the military who have paid a heavy, heavy price. And what looks like for absolutely nothing. What I care about is the families who have lost someone. Again, for what looks like absolutely nothing. How do we solve these problems? We need to start sharing stories. We need to dial down the rhetoric. We need to talk in very calm and understanding ways and make the case of why this is a really bad idea. We need to make the case about why CRT is a really bad idea. We need to make the case for why the Constitution needs to be followed. We need to make the case for sane economic policies. We need to make the case for minding your business and leaving people alone. We need to make the case for no mask mandates because government is not our nanny. We need to make the case for why America is an exceptional nation and why you change the world. Because look around at your narrative. There are certain words you're going to hear me say a lot over the next six months. Your narrative, your story, your history are three of those words. We'll talk about that more in the coming weeks. I am convinced, and I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm not asking you to trust me. What I'm asking you to do is to sit back and reflect on certain things. Is anger the answer? Before you answer that question, ask yourself, what was Jesus' opinion on anger? And every time I ask this question, I always get the same answer from people who want anger. Well, Jesus was the one who flipped over the tables. Yes, one story out of how many in the Gospels. One story, one time. Maybe we, there is a time for righteous anger. I'm not saying there's zero time for righteous anger. Maybe there is one time. But look around at society today. Look around at what we do. Do we do anything else but flip over tables? Or is that, all, is that the only weapon in our arsenal? Yes, let's flip over the table once. Let's get the thieves out of the church. Great. Now, what about the other stories? All the other miracles. The stories of love. The stories of hanging around with people who we shouldn't have been hanging around with. You know, like the prostitutes and the tax collectors, just like Jesus did. How about the messages of love? How about the parables of serving other people? How about we put things into context? You see, the future, and I believe we have about 18 months to two years to start making inroads, or else we are done. Done. Put a fork in us. We're done. And I may be even short on that timing. We may have even less. But we have two years to start making inroads. We need to start making inroads by starting on ourselves, not pointing the other finger at the other side, not pointing the other finger on, well, this is how you should live. This is what you should do. But pointing the finger at ourselves and kind of go, what do I need to do? What is the issue that I can solve? What talents can I bring? How can I serve my nation? Ask not what my country can do for me, but what you can do for your country. 
If you want to live in a free, prosperous America, the time now is to act. The time now is to stand. And to those who will take this monologue, as so many of you do, who hate me, who go, oh, there's John wanting us all to lay down. He doesn't want us to get angry. He just wants us to give up. I have never said those words, and I never will. I am only asking you to implore you to think about how you fight. Because there is no shortage of anger. There is no shortage of hate. Maybe it's time we change tactics. Or are we just like the left on COVID, where all the mask mandates and all of a sudden all the cases keep going up, regardless of social distancing, regardless of how much compliance there is, regardless of how many times we have mask mandates, the answer is still the same. More masks, more mandates. And the cases keep going up. Masks don't work. First step you have to do to my friends on the left about COVID masks is admit the problem. They don't work. To my friends on the right, admit the problem. Hatred is so everywhere and it isn't working. Maybe it's time we choose a different path. But even if you don't believe me and that's not the way you want to fight, I encourage you this weekend to take some time out to think about how you can protect your heart, how you can protect your soul and how you can protect your mind. Because if you don't have them protected, you can't help anyone. very hard America right now to, to focus in on certain issues. Obviously, there's so many issues with Afghanistan that we just spoke about. We want to talk about CRT, we want to talk about schools, we want to talk about the economy, we want to talk about COVID. There are so many issues that we can talk about right now, but there's some issues that really need to be dealt with. And this issue, I always get told by my friends on the right in the right-wing media, oh, you should talk about this issue. Oh, it's contentious. Oh, this will turn people off. I don't care. This is an issue that needs to be discussed because it goes right to the core of what America is, what America stands for, but also what we are supposed to stand for as Christians. And the last time I checked, everyone wants to talk about America being a Christian nation. That issue, of course, is abortion and being pro-life. And I'm very honored to join you, a buddy of mine, a buddy of mine in, uh, in Georgia is on the streets with this organization, Love Life. Um, he does great work. And uh, I wanted to bring on its founder because they're not just in Savannah, Georgia. They're in different parts all over the country. And um, I'm joined by its president and founder, Justin. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on, man. And thanks for being willing to address this issue. Appreciate it. Well, I'd love to just start with you on the principle. So this show, we always start with the principles, lay the foundation, and then we get into the story. For me, being pro-life is pretty much key, because if you believe in freedom. Because we believe yeah. in, we promote freedom, I promote the, the idea of America, of God-given individual rights. And the first one of those in your Declaration of Independence is life. And That's I always right. say why it's so important is we can disagree over tax policy. We can even disagree over the role of government. But we don't have that disagreement if we don't have a fundamental respect to actually exist and have that debate and have that discussion. So life is sacred. It's a gift from God is what I believe. I know I'm talking my Bible here, but it is a gift and it's mm -hmm. precious. And even in 2021, where the world is on fire and we're in lockdowns and everything's crazy and life is precious. It's still an amazing gift and we should make of it what we will. And denying someone that right, that honor, that privilege, that excitement, that that potential to change the world mm -hmm. is 
is just so upsetting to me. Why is this issue so important to you? Yeah, no, you're exactly right, man. It begins with life, right? We can't have liberty or the pursuit of happiness without first having life. And so, yeah, for, for me, I, I, I'm a believer in Jesus as well, a follower of Jesus. Um, and so this, I believe every life is sacred. Every life is made in the image of God. And that's, that's for the children in the womb or children outside of the womb. And really, the issue is very simple for me. This is really about loving my neighbor as myself. If that's the human being, if that's a life, then I should care for that life in the same way as I care for my seven-year-old, my four-year-old, my two-year-old, my 11-month-old that I have at home for my kids. You know, I should protect that life in the same way as I would any other child or any other human being. And so we live in a time when we want equality, we want equal protection, equal value for every human being. And I agree with that. We're just saying we want the same thing for the children in the womb or the children outside of the womb. And so that, that's really where, where we stand on it. We believe life is precious. It's sacred. It's made in the image of God. Therefore, it's worth protecting. Amen. But also just what always upsets me is when I, I try and have these discussions with people who, you know, will, will hide behind um, different issues. I, I can never understand the argument. And I'd love to see if you ever can make sense of this, where, you know, I'll talk to someone who will be a quote unquote moderate on abortion. And they'll kind of go, look, you know, I don't agree with you, you know, all the way, but, you know, some life is sacred. And, you know, if it, if it gets to past 20 weeks, it's no abortion. And it's like, okay, so what happens in that split second from right. 19 weeks, six days, 23 hours, 59 minutes and 59 seconds, but that's okay. To, <laughs> that second turns to 20 weeks or whatever period of time, because the number does change. I've heard 28 weeks, I've heard 16 weeks, I've heard 22 weeks, because of different viabilities and different things. How do you ever have you ever understood that argument of what happens in that split second that oh now we care about life? No, I mean the argument makes no sense, and no one can really explain that why in a split second between you know twenty twenty two weeks to twenty three weeks and it becomes a life. Well, is it at, at what minute? At what second? You know, at what point is that a life? Is it a human being? We believe life begins at conception. It's very clear from from science as well as from scripture. And uh, I, I just point to this also, we're, we, we are very uh, quick to argue about when life begins in the womb when we're talking about a human. But in 1973, when we legalized abortion, it's also the same year that we put forth the Endangered Species Act in 1973, the same exact year, which criminalized uh, people who, who, uh, who attack or affect a, a bald eagle's egg or a turtle egg. So we're talking about a pre-born turtle, a pre-born bald eagle, these endangered species where now it's, you are criminalized if you, if you crush one of those or if you did anything to affect or harm one of those pre-born turtles. So that in itself should, should kind of squash the whole argument. If we in America are willing to criminalize people uh, for 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 crushing a, a preborn turtle egg, yet we are celebrating and legalizing the killing of preborn children. No matter at what stage in life, I mean, if it's you know a one week or or forty weeks, we should be defending life in the same way as we're defending um, these these turtles or these these bald eagles, right? And I'm for animal protection and and all of that. We we should be good stewards of all of those things. We're just saying we we want equal protection. Absolutely. But have you ever found the, the argument, just having it from a principal point of view of 
just the lack of, you know, when you're talking to abortion people, and some of them are decent people, like they're not all, hey, just, just kill everyone. Like they, they, they have really bought into the, it's a woman's right to choose. And, and, it, and to, you've seen, seen people wrap it up in a freedom argument. But the one thing that always gets me, I, I always struggle to make this argument, and I'd love to hear you make the argument for people, is the lack of potential that we've missed out on. Like, you know, if you just look in America or you look in a different state, like the numbers of abortions, like, you know, even just taking the on a low year, I remember doing, we did an art, uh, part of the show on this about two, three weeks ago where I was talking about the really bad things in America and Roe versus Wade came up and I was like, the low number of abortions, I think was like 700,000. You know, yeah. like the lack of, of potential we have missed out on, like the, one of those 700,000 kids in that down year could have been the next great scientist, could be the person mm -hmm. who cures COVID, could be the person who sends us to Mars, or I know we've done that now, but or we're going to it. But like all these inventions, like the next great thing yeah. that we haven't thought of, that how do we explain that? That's that's something that we should all lost at more. That you yeah. know, we don't know what they could be. They could be the next great economist or the next great preacher or the next great mm -hmm. president. Mm -hmm. And like this is not a white thing. This is a human thing because you know abortions in a lot of minority neighborhoods, and it's in some ways because of its founder, Planned Parenthood in your country, Margaret Sanger, mm -hmm. is targeting them. So we could have the next Barack Obama if that's your you know thing, or the next Clarence Thomas, or the next Thomas Sowell. All these great mm -hmm. Black Americans. How do we can we explain that argument that we're losing out on so much by abortion being you know just commonplace now? Yeah, I mean we'll we'll never really know you know, the, the effects of that, but no matter if it's the next president or the next pastor, or if it's the next janitor, you know, it doesn't really honestly matter because it's all, it's, it's life. It's worth protecting. It's worth us fighting for and standing for, uh, but 62 million in America over the last uh, 48 years, 62 million. But when we're looking at this globally and it's really a global issue, it's not just an American issue. Uh, we're talking 1.5 billion since 1980, 1.5 billion people that were snatched out of the womb prematurely and were killed. Uh, those are the best numbers we have. That, that just goes back to 1980. Obviously, we know abortion goes prior to that. But globally, at least 1.5 billion uh, that we will never know their story. We will never know their names. We will never know what they would have gone on to become um, to help maybe cure cancer or uh, what, whatever amazing thing that God created them to do. And we are missing out on that. You know, you, you think about even people with Down syndrome. We, we celebrate in other countries the eliminating of people of Down syndrome, um, saying that, you know, we, we basically, we don't have it anymore. When, when they say we don't have it anymore, that means that they're just killing all of them in the womb. And my wife, her uh, her sister had DeGeorge syndrome, which is very similar to Down syndrome. And, and you know, she would be look, looked at in society as someone who's not really bringing much value uh, to society. You know, she can't, she couldn't work. Um, she had the mind of about a four-year-old child. But let me tell you that she brought so much value to our life. Um, she helped really shape my wife into, into the lady that she is and creating a compassionate heart and you know, she would get so excited about the little things in life. If you'd pick her up an iced coffee at McDonald's, it was like she hit the jackpot. And it's things like that that we're missing out on, even with people with disabilities, Down syndrome, the George syndrome, whatever it might be. We are missing out on these precious gifts of these people that we will, know, no, we will never get to experience because they have been destroyed through abortion. Absolutely. And I always, it's, it's so easy to be arrogant in society and look at someone and kind of go, 
what, what's your standard of living? I, I just, uh, just since you were talking about Down syndrome, there's a guy in my mother's church and, you know, he's got Down syndrome and stuff and he has a job. And, there, you, you know, you're kind of looking at him. Ireland's come a long way on this issue. You know, you 20 years ago, he bought, you know, like just, you know, poor thing, you know, we should just put him out of his misery kind of attitude. Yeah. But he's, he's, a, he's a server in the local Catholic church, but he has a job. And to everyone else, it's just, oh my God, it's just a little job. But to him, mm. it's an amazing job. He picks up yeah. trash at the airport. And to go to the airport and see the planes every day, it's an amazing thing. Even when you talk to him, mm. like he'll tell you the same story day after day if you give him the chance. Um, because he just loves his job. And it's yeah. nothing so exciting, but he loves the planes. He loves meeting mm. people. He loves picking up the trash and cleaning up yeah. after people and offering that service. And for me, the arrogance for someone to turn around and just look at him and kind of go, oh, Eamon's mm. life is just... You know, he's he, mm. you know, boy, he should be put out of his misery. I'm kind of going, speak to the guy for five minutes and then yeah. say his life hasn't got meaning or his life, you know what, mm. would be better off if he didn't exist. And yeah. I, I think this is the thing I think we need to do to change the issue. It's tell these hard stories because I don't think mm. we connect with people with true, um, you know, facts and figures or true, you know, bashing them or even the Bible on this issue. I think what we need to do is change hearts. And to try and really change the message on this person has meaning. That's right. What would you say That's that? right. Absolutely, man. And we, we love telling stories. That's one of the things we do a lot. And and uh, it's those it's those little moments like you just described with with this guy that you know that really helped shape who we are. And we we miss out on on those moments when the, when those individuals are not in our lives. I mean, honestly, it's sad, man. You look around today, and there's. There's not a whole lot of people that you you see walking around anymore with with Down syndrome or with disabilities, because we're, we're getting these pregnancy tests, you know, before the child is born, and to to see if the child has anything wrong with them, and and these we see these tests, and if there's any type of disabilities, we have our doctors and our um, our medical uh, uh, practitioners that are really pushing this, saying, hey, you really, you know, out of out of the care for this child, you really should abort this child. And we are missing out on these precious children and people that help change us and give us compassion. And as we come home and we're all stressed out from work or whatever it might be, uh, you know, they're smiling about get, going to see, you know, airplanes fly in the air or being able to pick up trash or get an ice coffee for McDonald's. I mean, we need individuals in our lives and, and the Lord knows that. And he helps balance us with, with a lot of the different types of people that exist in the world. So yeah, storytelling is, is an, an, you know, extremely important. I mean, we share stories all the time. We've had over 3000 families that have made the choice for life at abortion clinics, over 3000. These were people that showed up for scheduled abortions. And in the last few minutes made the choice for life. And so we tell the stories of these children that are now alive that have um, amazing lives. The parents are so thankful uh, that their child is alive and that they made the choice for life. And they can't imagine their lives without them. You know, we need to tell those stories of, of the, these moms that are in love with these children, these children that are now are allowed to go to school and, and make a life of their own. Because these are not just statistics. These are real human beings we're talking about. Little boys, little girls, moms and dads that are spared from the pain of abortion. You know, it's not just the 62 million children that have, have been murdered through abortion in America. It's also 62 million moms and dads that have been affected by the pain and the loss of abortion. And we don't talk about that very often, but it has uh, a, an unbelievable negative effect 
uh, on their lives. I mean, alcoholism goes through the roof, drug addiction, and, and so many things go through the roof for those who, who suffer through an abortion. So before we get to, to your story and setting up this group, and, and I want to hear some of those stories because I know the audience will as well, but one final principle that I see, and this is not an American thing, I see this worldwide, I see this in you know, Catholics over here, because Catholics generally as a religion, you know, you can say there's pitfalls in their, their theology and you can have disagreements on them, but they're generally considered the world leaders when it comes to abortion. Like you, you, you see mm-hmm. an abortion clinic and you see someone outside praying, chances are they're a Catholic praying the rosary. Yeah. Um, you yeah. Know, they, they really are leaders in this field. But on the same side, one of the things that always frustrates me with some pro-life people, and they generally are not the quiet people who are praying and doing their rosaries and doing the work on the ground. They're just the more vocal, I'm pro-life. And they, we seem to, to those vocal people, I get very frustrated with is they're so hateful towards the people who have an abortion. They, they go, oh, you're going to rot in hell. Oh, you're eternal damnation. Oh, you're done. And I'm like... And they'll claim it to be Christians, and they don't understand redemption, they don't understand forgiveness, but they also don't understand what you just said, the pain. You know, when I see someone, if someone came to me and said, you know, I've had an abortion, I'm not going to go, oh my God, you're going to rot in hell, how could you murder your kid and go on a rant in the Bible? I'm going to go, oh my God, what, what led you to the pain to make that decision and help the person? And to try and, you know, get their story, but also to love them, because I think that's what we're called to do. How yeah. do we address that as an issue to try and say to people who are you know more on the on the hard line of you're going to hell if you have an abortion how, how would you address that and sort of say to people you know th- how to act yeah. to those, towards those women yeah i mean i just would begin with we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god all of us we, we none of us are righteous in, in our own acts i mean that's why we all are in need of a savior and his name is jesus so no matter, and Jesus even talk, talks about it in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount of even if you have anger in your heart, then, then you've committed murder against your brother. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, the, the physical act of murder has greater consequences, no, no doubt about it. I'm not minimizing that. But the point is, is that we all fall short and we all need a savior and we all need forgiveness. And, and for those who are in Christ, for those who come to Jesus, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so, you know, just like I don't identify um, as, as a liar, as a thief, as an adulterer, I'm, I'm a child of God. I've been forgiven. I've been washed clean. And so for those who are in Christ, man, I, I would say to you, even you don't identify as a post-abortive father or a post-abortive mother, you're a new creation. And we, we need to have this type of compassion and grace for one another as we, as we recognize that we needed that in our own lives. Um, and so we just recognize that there's a lot of people that are blind, that are deceived. Satan is stealing, killing, and destroying. He's doing exactly what, what he, he's, he, he was he's designed to do at this point. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's exactly what he's doing through abortion. And he's doing it not only to the child, but he's also doing it to the mom and to the father uh, as he is. He's lying to him as they're going in. He's lying to him as they're going in saying, hey, it's just a clump of cells. Just get it over with. It's going to make your life better. And after they make after they make that decision to abort their child, then he begins to lie to them on their way out, saying, I cannot believe you did this. You are a murderer. What is wrong with you? And he starts accusing them. And we have to realize that they are being accused already by the accuser. They don't need more accusation from us. Satan is already doing that. 
They need the hope of Jesus. That's what they need. They need the hope of Jesus that you can turn to him. You can be forgiven of your sins and be washed clean, just like, just like we have. And they need the help of the local church. And that's the message we preach while we're out there at the abortion centers is you need the hope of Jesus and the help of the local church. So we're offering you the gospel. We're also giving you uh, being the hands and feet of Jesus coming around you with the practical needs and support. And if you've had an abortion, if you had the abortion while you're in there, we want to help you through healing and restoration. We don't want to kick you to the curb. We want to help you through your healing and restoration process so you can be set free and then help set other people free. So we, rec- we have to first recognize our need and uh, have, a, have a true understanding of, of what we needed in our own lives and forgiveness of our own sins, and then to be able to offer that hope to others. Absolutely. Love and hope and compassion are things this world is sorely, sorely lacking right now. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Yeah, we need, we need more of that. Now that's the, the foundation of what we're about to talk about, the, the, fun, the fundamental principles of why pro-life is, is absolutely key and, and the power of Jesus. But I want to share more about your story and more about the organization. So what were you doing before you, you created this organization? What, like, what was your expertise? What was your you know, work experience? Yes, my background is the marketplace. I still own a company. I've had a company for 17 years uh, so I've been, been in the marketplace, been an entrepreneur, always, even from high school, starting little businesses and, but launched my business at 20 that we still have today. And, uh, that's, Congrats. that's, that's been my, my background, still very passionate about the marketplace and, uh, see, seeing growth in that area. But I had some business friends here in Charlotte that invited me out to our local abortion clinic in 2012 and that's really when my eyes were open to the reality of what's happening right here in my backyard. And uh, it was when I stood there in 2012 and I heard what I call the tragic truth of abortion, that abortion is the leading cause of death in our city. It's the leading cause of death. I was completely unaware of that, Jonathan. I, I, I thought maybe cancer, maybe heart disease, but no, abortion is the leading cause of death here in Charlotte as well as most every city across the nation where abortion exists. And, you know, I no longer was seeing it through the lens of a political lens or, or a political talking point or something that CNN or Fox News talk, talks about, but it became real to me. It became very personal as I was standing there and I saw moms walking into the abortion center with visible pregnant bellies, tears running down their face. Uh, where they would walk in and then they would walk back out to their car and then they would walk back in, they would walk back out to the car. They were struggling with this decision. I could, I could, you know, sense a spiritual warfare that was happening. It was very thick, but it was literally playing itself out in the physical right before me as I saw people going in and out, in and out. There's about 30 moms that were there that day. And uh, my heart just broke over what I encountered. It was, it was right across the street from one of our companies that we work with, one of our clients that I've had for over 10 years. And I never knew this place even existed, it, which is exactly part of the plant, right? It's out of sight, it just blends out of in. mind. Yep. It's at the very end of a business park. It's at the very dead end of a business park. Uh, it doesn't have a sign on it that says we do abortions here. 
it's just this brick building. It looks like a medical building. Um, and I just, I had no idea, man. I had no idea. My family, we've been involved with inner city ministry and, and, you know, really we've always had a heart for the least of these, but we had no idea this was happening in our backyard until that encounter in 2012. And that's where the Lord really started to work on my heart. So you have that experience. What happens next? So I go to office. Um, I'm weeping. I'm broken over my own convicted. I'm like, guys, do you have any idea what's happening on Latrobe Drive um, over on the east side of Charlotte? And they were unaware, just like I was unaware. So I just, I began to educate them. And then the, the next day, I took our staff out to the abortion center for them to see it, for them to experience it. We just went out there and we prayed and I just shared with them what had been shared with me. And uh, that is really what began just kind of some organic uh, connections with different pro-life ministries in our city. I took my pastor out there. Uh, and so we were doing that for a few years, but didn't really know what to do beyond that. And, and then we were in a season in 2015 of prayer and fasting, my wife and I as we were considering selling our business and moving to Central America uh, to launch some businesses there and to do some mission work in Central America. And during that season of just praying and seeking the Lord on August 20th, 2015, the Lord spoke to me while I was praying in my heart, just real, real quietly in my heart. I've called you to the least of these and I've called you to be a voice for the voiceless. And over the course of about a week, God has started to download a strategy and a plan of how to mobilize the church and I just began to journal that. It comes right out of the, the book of Nehemiah, chapter one through three. And I just began journaling what the Lord was showing me of how to mobilize the greatest organism on the face of the planet, which is the church. And that's what ended up becoming Love Life. And we launched in 2016 and in uh, March of 2016 with 22 people at our very first prayer walk, very small organic gathering, but that now has grown in five years to over 90,000 people that have come out uh, for our prayer walks, over 3,000 families that have made the choice for life uh, as the church has been mobilized, over 500 churches that have partnered with us across denominational lines, and God's doing an incredible work as the church is on the move. So I suppose that always the big thing is, you know, okay, that sounds great. So why don't you tell me, you know, I'll, I'll use the language of the day. Tell me about your biggest victory or tell us about the story that really, you know, will never leave you with the rest of your life. Yeah, we, we have so many of those, but I'll, I'll give you one that kind of points to the culture shift that we are believing will happen as the church takes action. Because we, we truly believe that this is, this is the greatest moral issue of our time. And, and this, this is the issue for the church to solve. Uh, you know, abortion is not going to end until the church of Jesus Christ says it's going to end. And, and so in, in regards to that, uh, we have seen as the church has been mobilized, the church has been active, not only a huge increase in moms making the choice for life, but a significant decrease and people showing up for abortions. The abortion clinic was averaging around 50 to 60 abortions every Saturday in Charlotte. And that number now is down to an average of around 20. Uh, but one of the key pieces in this is that a shift in culture is happening. And this is the story I want to, I want to tell where people stop running to the abortion centers for the answer. And they start running to the local church because now the church is out. 
The issue is not the darkness. The issue has been the absence of light. And as the light starts shining, more people start running to the light. And so as we have been doing this, there was a mom that showed up for an abortion in 2016. She heard about the hope that was available for her and the help that was available through the local church. She makes the choice for life. This is one of the 3,000. And as she makes that, make, makes that choice for life, we connect her with a mentor, just like we do with all moms that allow us to, to begin discipling her. And we throw them a baby shower in the local church where they're being mentored. Well, guess who shows up for the baby shower? Her aunt, who is the manager of the abortion clinic for 20 years, shows up to the baby shower. She's now sitting in one of our local churches, seeing the love of Jesus being poured out on her family, on her niece, who came to that same exact abortion clinic that she's managing and made the choice for life. And as this family's walking with her and loving on her and caring for her, this affects the aunt, who is the manager of the abortion clinic. So for the last year before the, the manager quit, as people were coming in for abortions, she started redirecting them to the church. So they were coming in to see her to have an abortion. And she would say to them, Hey, you don't have to do this. Those people outside, they'll help you. I know this because they're doing it with my own family. So she started redirecting people to the church. The clinic. And so I love that story because it points to the culture shift. As the church starts living out our faith and we're, we're being active, we're not just saying it, but we're being the hands and feet of Jesus, then people start to see the church as a viable place to run to instead of running to the abortion clinics. And that's what we're seeing happening. I could tell you many more stories just like that. Well, that's great. That's a really powerful story that, you know, obviously, thanks to that story, there's a baby alive, but also, you know, how many other you know, hundreds maybe of babies are alive because of her actions. And then, you know, she's now left. Did you say she left the clinic? Yeah, she, she left the abortion center. And, and now we're, we're in relationship with her. She has her own mentor that's discipling her. Uh, she has her own little business now. We support her business. She has a catering business. So we, we hire her every chance we get. And, um, and so she's, she's pro-life now. She's a follower of Jesus. I mean, it's been a complete, complete change in her life. Awesome. So then just to go through the process, because um, I've, I've researched it so I know them, but just for people who aren't familiar with your organization, yeah. you mentioned certain words there. So let's imagine, you know, it is 2021, so I'm no longer Jonathan, I'm Joanna, and I'm pregnant. <laughs> you know, I know I yeah. look like I'm pregnant, but hey, you know, it's really a baby. Yeah. <laughs> and I go to a, and I go say, you know what, I don't want this baby, I'm, I'm going to get an abortion, and I turn up, and mm -hmm. your organization is there. How do, how do you act, first off? So you're at a, yeah. I drive up to the abortion clinic. What are your people doing inside? Yeah, so our, our people are, as you're pulling in, every abortion center is a little bit different as far as like the way it's laid out. But typically people are driving, unless it's New York City or other places like that. But they're pulling into the abortion center. So our team is out there. They're in uh, bright shirts that say hope is here, help is here. It's making it clear that you know, the people you see in these color shirts are all, all part of our group. And they're, they're waving with a big smile on their face as they're coming in. And they're trying to get the individual just to stop for a second, just saying, hey, we have some information for you. We have resources that are available for you, free resources. So just trying to have a conversation is the main thing. Just waving to them, letting them know that we have help available for them. 
If they do stop and they roll down their window, then we, we hand them that information and we begin having a conversation. And all so depends on that information. So in that information, it lists all of the resources that exist. Uh, we have national resources, but we also have local resources, whether it be housing, whether it be medical care, whether it be clothing, whether it be food, whatever, whatever it might be. We have a, a giant list of life resources that, it, that, that, that we have available for these families, as well as relationship. And that's the key. We're not just handing you a book of resources. We're saying, we're going to walk with you. Like We're here to help you. Um, just like in the story prior, where we're going to throw you a baby shower, we're going to help provide all the all the needs that you have up to the first two years of your child's life. That's what we do through our baby showers. Whatever is needed for for you and that baby for the first two years, the church is helping supply all of that. And so we're we're just communicating this to the mom that you don't have to go here. No matter what your need is, we have resources available for you. So letting them know that there's resources, but then getting right to the heart of it as well. God loves you and he loves your child. And there's a hope and a plan for you and your child. And then we'll go in a little bit to even the science and, and, and the reality of what's happening in her womb. You know, that y- your baby's heart is already beating. Before you even knew you were pregnant, your baby's heart is already beating. And most of the most of the women that are coming to abortions at to uh, take Charlotte for example are in the first trimester, uh, but at this point, you know, twelve weeks, the, the baby's fingers are all developed, toes are all developed. So we'll start to ask questions like, you know, do you know how far along you are? Or, um, you know, why are you here? What brought you here? What what is it that that uh, has brought you to this point today? And try to find kind of that pain point so that we can speak directly to that need. But we're also speaking directly to where that child is. If it's 12 weeks, let's say they're 12 weeks pregnant, then we want to speak directly to the development of that child at 12 weeks. And we have that in even our little brochure. It spells out, you know, the development of the child at the different weeks, just to say that that's a life. And most moms, let me just tell you that most moms that we encounter, they know that it's a life. They, they know that it's a child, um, but they just have bought the lie that it's okay to kill that child. Uh, and so we're just we're stir- trying to stir back up the motherly instinct, the fatherly instinct. Uh, let them know again, God loves me, love my heart is able for you, and we are here to help you with those resources. So if they don't stop, which many times they don't, then they go into the parking lot, they park their car. And, and then they got to walk though into the building. So we might have 20 seconds, you know, from their car to when they walk and we'll just recommunicate these things with the main point of trying to, with the main point of trying to have a conversation, have a conversation to get them to come and talk to us. Cause without that, uh, it's very hard, um, to really ID, ID where they are, what their needs are. So we want to be approachable. We want to be approachable, but at the same time, we're communicating urgency. Because this is literally the moment. I mean, like th- there's like this is the end of the road, right? And so we're communicating also with urgency. And if they go inside, then they typically sit in the waiting room of an abortion center. Every abortion clinic's a little bit different, but typically they'll sit there for an hour, two hours, or th- even three hours before the abortionist arrives. So typically they try to get all their patients in early in the morning get paperwork, get payment, get all those things. And then they basically sit there for a while 
until the abortionist arrives and then the abortion does abortionist does the killings very quickly within a matter of two hours or just depending on how many how many patients are there that day so my point being is that they're sitting there thinking about the things they heard reading the literature that was handed to them on the way in and even still hearing our voice so as after all the moms have made their way in then at that point we'll go to amplified sound because now we can speak to them while they're sitting in the waiting room. They can hear us through the walls and we can speak to them while they're sitting in the waiting room. And we can, we can give stories. We can give testimonies about moms who've made the choice for life and how the church is walking with them currently or continue to just share the gospel with them, continue to communicate that that life is precious and talk about the development of the child and talk about our resources and, and communicate you know, these things and they can hear us inside. I mean, we, we hear the stories all the time about moms that have made the choice for life. And here's an incredible statistic that over, over 50%, the majority of moms that have made the choice for life, the 3000 that, that I've referenced were moms that were inside the building and then came out. So a lot of people think, you know, if you don't stop them, whenever they go in then man, you, you know, forget about it. There's no hope, but Seeds have been sown on the way in, right? Even just if it's a smile and a wave, maybe they didn't even roll their window down, but it's a smile and it's the message says hope is here. Help is here. Seeds have been sown and, and they're sitting there. And we believe obviously the power of prayer. I mean, that, you know, there, there's conviction that's happening in their hearts. They're maybe remembering their own childhood, however the Lord's doing it. But, uh, but we see the majority of moms that make the choice for life were, were those that were inside the building and then came out. So then the last question is, you mentioned that they're um, the mentorship program. What is the mentorship program in, in Love Life? So it's a two-year commitment that we have our mentors make. And then we ask the mentee um, to, to make a commitment as well, because it, it's a relationship. We say, hey, we want to walk with you. We want to befriend you. We want to help equip you for life. So you know, for us as believers, we call that discipleship. I and mean, we were discipling them, but we're helping deal with the, the tam- tangible needs. We address those things first. Like, okay, you need housing. All right, well, let's address that. But we're going to help you find housing. And we're not just going to hand you a phone number, but we're going to do that with you. We're going to go check these places out with you and find you a place that you feel comfortable in. So we first address, you know, th- those, those real needs, those tangible needs. Um, and then we start to plan a baby shower with that mom. We believe it's important to, to go, begin planning that right away, to celebrate her decision for life, to continue to have something exciting to look forward to. So we start to plan that process with her. Uh, we do 3D ultrasounds. We make that available for the moms. Um, again, it's kind of just another exciting thing to go do. Let's go together. Let's go see your child, see how your, your baby's developing and celebrate that life. Uh, but it's ongoing relationship. It's coming over to the house for a meal. It's meeting for coffee. It's, um, you know, encouraging them to come to church if they want. We're not forcing that on anybody, but we're making that available. Hey, come to church. Once you be a part of this church family, this really is a family. And, and that, that's really what we want to, we uh, There, there is a family that exams are being your boyfriend. There's another family. It's called the church. And we're here to walk with you and support you along, along your entire journey past the the birth of your child 
And I mean, our mentors are walking with, with these children now that are, that are three, four, five years old and continuing to be in a relationship with them. That's great. So there's a lot of aftercare service and it's, it's a, just another, hey, on the day, don't have it, don't do it, you have a choice. But is that, I think that's a really important thing to make. And, you know, the, the thing that really struck me there was about the baby show, you know, because mm-hmm. you've gone from, you know, it's, it's kind of the emotional side of things. You've gone from a really potentially horrific decision of, you know, killing your baby to, okay, let's get you excited about this baby. It's not something that, you know, the dread or, you know, how am I going to pay my bills or I'm mm-hmm. going to be a single mom or stuff, but to, to change it around, it's not a burden or it's not a, a pain. Mm-hmm. It's something to be really excited about. And I think yeah. that's a really good thing. And I, I, I guess that has a lot of impact on it. Yeah, man, we want to celebrate the life. You know, we, we have a, a phrase we use all the time. We love life. And, and that, that, that's a culture where we're not just, out at the abortion centers proclaiming this truth and, and helping people make the choice for life. Like we truly live it. Like we, we celebrate life, man. And we have fun. We rejoice um, in, in, in our lives and we have parties all the time, you know, birthday parties for the kids, uh, baby showers. It's a culture of love and life that we're creating. And uh, we, so, yeah, we're, we're bringing these families into that. And let me just make a point too, that these mentors are, they're volunteers, man. These are volunteers that are giving of their time, giving of their resources. And the other option, when you look at the abortion industry, it costs an average of around $500 for an abortion. Um, and so they're, the, that, the abortion industry is, is gaining uh, a lot of money from this. I mean, the people that own the abortion clinic here in Charlotte, uh, it's a privately owned business. This is not a government institution. It's a privately owned business that brings in five to $6 million a year, um, doing nothing but abortion six days a week. And we have thousands of mentors, thousands of Christians that are freely giving of their time, freely giving of their money to lavish uh, onto these families. It's not about it, what anything that we can gain from this. These are people that are sacrificially laying down their lives so that other people can live. And that is complete contrast from what you see with the abortion industry that is making millions and millions of dollars off of this. And it's an industry. Um, so that, that there's a, a total contrast between the two, between the abortion industry and the church that is sacrificially laying down their lives. Just one last philosophical question before we just get to your information about your group and what you need. You said something in the last segment, which I think is absolutely critical as a Christian that we do. Um, there's a part, I, I always paraphrase this because I butcher the words of it, but if it's a it's by a famous pastor, he basically said, if there's a problem with the world, the church has failed. And mm-hmm. the church is, you know, it's pretty much the church's fault. Mm-hmm. And I think for me is, you know, especially, you know, from a non, non-pro-life issue, but from an American issue as someone who, who has researched your family, you don't have America without pulpit. Mm-hmm. You know, we can talk yeah. about George Washington, and I do on this show, we talk about Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin and all the family fathers. But, you know, the, the reason Thomas Jefferson wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that wasn't just a cliche, oh, that sounds good, and that's poll test. Well, the reason they were self-evident was because there was pulpits preaching, yeah. and people were discussing it after church on a Sunday. There was Sunday schools. That was the founder's way of life. It was very much part of their everyday life, their faith, and they tried to best to live it. 
how do we get to a point, and if this is on pro-life, which we can focus in on you, but just as a general rule, where we can encourage these churches and actually, mm-hmm. you know, kind of light a fire under them. Because, you know, I'm a Christian, and I get disillusioned with some of the stuff I see with Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christian churches where, you know, I, I've had I've tried to do this publicly and privately, where pastors won't speak out about certain issues. They want to be very, you know, that's low-key. They won't support people. You know, I've, I've had, and I'm sure you've heard of these, and, that you know, there's crossover here where, you know, church people in your group and other groups have been reaching out to priests and pastors, and they just don't respond on this issue. And it's like... Mm-hmm. It's so frustrating. Like, you just want to go, this is your job. But you can't do that, you know, because that's not going to work. That's not the priests and the pastors aren't going to respond to that. How can we actually encourage the church to get involved on this issue, but on so many other issues? What's what's your recipe to work with 500 churches? Yeah, so that's really been the issue, right? Is because I believe that this is the church's issue. Um, and I'm going to get to the recipe of how we do that, but let me just further um, throw a little fuel on the fire of how what you were just saying. You know, we we can we can curse the darkness and we can be mad at abortion all we want, but the issue is not the darkness. The issue is the, been the absence of light. A- again, the, the issue is not abortion. The issue is never the issue. The issue has been the silence of the church. Francis Schaeffer has a quote. He, he's a theologian. He said, every abortion center should have a sign over it that says this abortion clinic remains open by permission of the local church. And so we can't point our fingers at anybody else. We Repentance begins in the house of God. We as the church, we as believers must own this issue. And your, you know, your concern is, is the concern of, of many people is where is the church? That was my question when I was out there in 2012. Not only was I broken over the issue, but I was really broken over the silence of the church. I mean, Charlotte has one of the highest per church uh, uh, per capitas in the world. And so it's not, do we have enough churches? Do we have enough Christians in the area? But there was only a handful of, of, of churches that were engaging at all prior to Love Life. And the Lord gave us a vision. He gave us a strategy of how to mobilize the church. And that is really what Love Life is. I'm going to explain that to you. Uh, the, the vision is, is we must bring the church along in a journey. Okay. We have to kind of meet them where they are. We can't just kind of go like you were talking about. And I, trust me, I, I have some of the same frustrations where I'm like, come on, man, just, just speak. <laughs> but the reality is Love Life would not exist if, if uh, it was already happening. And and I, one day I hope Love Life doesn't exist. We hope to work ourselves out of a job to where the church is just alive and so on fire, where there's no need for Love Life to bring churches along. But the reality is, is that most people need to be brought along. I mean, just like I did, right? I was, I was blind before, I was silent, and I needed somebody to bring me along. And so we recognize that it's a journey for all of us, and we want to just help accelerate that journey for pastors and for churches. And so the way that we do that is through four steps, hear, pray, go, and connect. And this comes right out of the book of Nehemiah, chapter one through three. It be, the, the, the story begins in Nehemiah with understanding that there was an issue in Jerusalem that the walls were broken down and the gates were burning with fire. He had to be aware of it. He had to be educated about it. And most people, most Christians don't know that abortion is the leading cause of death in our city. Most Christians don't know that it's happening right in their backyard at a very high level. 
And so that here piece happens on a Sunday morning. We work with the pastor to equip him with that information of what the tragic truth is in their city, in their backyard. The pastor preaches a message on life. What does God's word say about life? What is the reality of abortion in our land? And then what can we do about it? So that's the here piece. And then he, he calls the church to action, to pray and fast on Wednesday. We believe in the power of prayer and fasting, which is exactly what Nehemiah did after he was educated about it. What did he do? He began praying and fasting. So he's going on a journey. And then after that, we didn't stop there, though. He didn't stop there. Thank God he didn't stop there or else the city never would have gotten rebuilt. And we can't stop there as believers or else our cities will never be rebuilt. Then he calls, then the pastor calls them to go, which is step three. Go on Saturday for our prayer walk that we orchestrate, our team orchestrates and our volunteers put it all together for a two hour prayer walk to be exposed to the reality of what's happening in your city. It's one thing to hear about it, but it's a whole nother thing to see it, to experience it, to see the tears running down the mom's face, to see 30 moms walking into an abortion center, to experience a spiritual warfare. We have witches that come out to these places and try to put curses on us. I mean, things that most Christians will never experience in their life. Um, we are getting them into the battle, so to speak. And when they do that, it starts to stir things up in them. Not only does it drop abortions, but it starts to set a fire into the Christians as they are seeing it and they are experiencing it. So just like Nehemiah, after prayer and fasting, what did he do? He left the palace where he was, he went to the brokenness. And that's what we're calling churches to. We have to leave our palaces. We have to go to the brokenness. And so that's what happens on Saturday of that church's adoption week for the prayer walk. And then at the end of the prayer walk, now they've heard about it. They've prayed about it. They've come and they've seen. Now we just simply say, hey, don't let this be the end of your journey. Let it be the beginning of your journey. And here are practical ways that you can get connected to rebuild the city beyond today. And then we just start outlining. You can become a mentor. We will train you in how to do that. And we will connect you with these moms that make the choice for life for you to disciple them, to walk with them. You can become a trained sidewalk counselor to be out here on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and how to communicate the message for life and be a part of our sidewalk team. You can foster or adopt children here in our backyard. We work with adoption agencies to see kids come out of foster care and to come into godly homes. You can get a, you can be a prayer walk champion, be out here every single Saturday, or you can get connected to healing and restoration for those who have had abortions in their past. We want to see you get healed and set free. So we just start laying out these connection opportunities. And it's amazing how many of God's people begin responding to all of these different things. And now they're engaged in ongoing ministry. So this is just simply a vehicle. We call it adoption week. We ask, we ask every partnering church to adopt at least one week out of our 40 weeks every year. We do it for 40 weeks every year. And that's the time from conception to birth. And most weeks we have multiple, multiple churches adopting the same week. So you got Baptists standing next to Presbyterians, next to Pentecostals, next to non-denomination. So it's this beautiful picture of unity. And what's happening is, and I'll quote some of our people that have been involved with this ministry. I was a dead Christian, but now I'm alive. That is what's happening. Through this journey of hear, pray, go, connect, and their pastor leading their leading the charge, leading their people, 
we were seeing dead Christians come to life and they are getting activated in their city to love God and love people at a level like they never have before. And that's the recipe that God has given us. And through that recipe, we've seen thousands and thousands of people come out for prayer walks, hundreds of churches get, get connected and thousands of lives saved. So if people are listening to this and want to get involved, where can they find more information? How can they get involved? What do you need right now? And Yeah, lovelife.org is our website, lovelife.org. If you want to follow us on Facebook, Love Life USA, we're also on Instagram. Uh, so you can find us in all those different places. You know, we want to see this spread across the nation. Right now, we're in 15 cities across America. We started here in Charlotte, spread across the Carolinas, then went into New York City. We're in California. We're in South Florida. We're in 15 cities across the nation. Unfortunately, there's a need for this everywhere, though. Uh, there's 700 abortion centers in America currently, around 700. And there's only a Christian witness at about 30% of those abortion centers. That means nearly 500 abortion centers have no gospel being offered to them, no help of the local church being offered to them as they're going into these abortion centers. And so we want to see this spread across the nation. If you're interested in bringing this to your city, go to lovelife.org slash America, lovelife.org slash America. We're raising up missionaries across the nation to bring the Love Life model to their city. Uh, You can help us by funding the movement. I mean, we, we need continue funding to launch more missionaries, to launch more cities. And so you can join us uh, and donate if you like to on our website as well. But uh, all information is on our website. We got tons of videos on our website as well as on our, our Facebook and Instagram page. America, I, I encourage you to check out this organization. I put a buddy of mine in Georgia's on the, the sidewalks doing great work down there. He's saved him and his wife have saved quite a few kids already. America, yep. we finish this show the way we do each and every week by saluting you, the American people. Today and ever more so, the message of America, the secret sauce is the sentiments of tofu. America is great because Americans are good. Here you have one of the most important issues of our time. And what you noticed, I don't know if you noticed, we didn't talk about Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Republicans or Democrats. We could have talked about the political side. We didn't. We talked about solutions. They're not political. They're in the heart. They're in each and every one of you. And if you're a Christian, it's each and every one of you serving making America a better place. You want to save America? Yes, politics has a place. But you really want to save America? Get involved. Pick your issue. If it's abortion, great. We need all the help you can get. But if it's another issue, do it. You are the secret sauce. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.